Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Welcome to Real Jam Radio. I'm Danny Lurie, host, and so happy to have you with us for this episode. I was able to record a second season preview of sorts with Sirat Sohi, one of my favorite people to talk to, talented freelance NBA writer all over the place, including the Athletic Toronto, and she had a new piece for Bleacher Report, which we talk about later on in the podcast. And so what I wanted to talk with Sirat about was the legacy kind of implications of the season and the storylines that we're going to look at as the season starts and as we move through it, of course, culminating in the playoffs and everything else. And so really fun conversation over an hour and get into a lot of the different teams and why we're watching. Another reminder, like parts of the the podcast I did with Tim Bontemps of why we're so excited for this season. And this episode is brought to you by DraftKings, a new sponsor of Real Jam Radio. Go to DraftKings.com, enter the promo code REALGM with your first deposit for free entry into some awesome contests, including the, the billion dollar lineup, which I talk about a little bit later in the show, and greats. Greats, making phenomenal shoes. I'm really impressed with their products. G-R-E-A-T-S.com. And again, Real GM promo code, 15% off your first purchase. Awesome shoes. Definitely check it out. So as I said, podcast runs, it's a little bit over an hour. I think you'll really enjoy it. And here it is. Thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. I pitched you on the idea of what I wanted to do for this podcast, and I thought you'd be a good person to talk with because I feel like, especially with everything that happened this offseason, just with so many people moving around, that this was a real legacy year for a lot of different players and teams just because of all that circumstance. And also because, you know, a lot of these players, we don't know how it's going to change from here. Like Paul George is a good example of that, and so is Mello. Yeah, for sure. I mean, this is like the most movement we've really had in a long time. So, you know, once these guys start sticking to decisions, it's like, okay, let's let's see if, if you can live up to it. So let's start. I, the guys that I, I kind of thought would be an interesting place to begin are the, the big names that are in really different situations. So, you know, Paul George, Carmelo Anthony, both got they got a pretty good a, a pass for the last couple of years as their teams kind of disintegrated around them. I don't really blame either one of them for that. It's just kind of circumstances. And they now, all of a sudden, they go from being big fish in relatively little ponds to being big fish in not the biggest pond, but one of the larger ones. And they have to play very different roles than they have in the recent past. 
Yeah, I mean, like, it's funny that you say the big fish in the small pond thing, because it's like, that's kind of what it's going to come down to. Like, how much are they really willing to shrink, I guess, in this weird metaphor that I just decided to go with. Like, that's really going to, especially for Mello, I think what's going to determine how people feel about him in the future, because that's always been the knock on him. It's Mello wants uh, wants too much of the spotlight. He, he pushed Jeremy Leno. And, you know, it's like, I think it's oddly, even though Mello has and is in a different place in his career. I think it's more important for Mello because like this kind of either goes to prove everybody right about him or wrong, just based on how he handles everything. Whereas with George, I think, you know, he's such, he's such a talented player that first of all, I just think being in a bigger market that people pay attention to is going to be good for him because he's been so underrated over the years in Indiana and the second thing is, like, he's also, like, he's he's an off-ball player. He's deferential. So, you know, even if he does demand the ball a little bit more, I mean, I'm sure he won't be saying things like he did in the playoffs uh, when Indiana didn't go with him in the last minute just because he's going to be playing with Westbrook. I think it's, like, it's just, like, a different contextual situation. I just think he wouldn't say something like that again. So it's kind of a win-win for paul george even if he does end up leaving because it's like well we're already saying it's gonna happen and he's kind of like he's he's in a pretty perfect spot i think i think Melo's the one that's really gotta gotta worry about uh about his legacy here well and also Melo might have an extra year there because his situation is even more complicated because paul george has a player option but he's not leaving any money on the table and if he chooses to leave he can do whatever he wants nobody's gonna blame him especially if he's leaving to go to a good circumstance which would be my expectation with Melo, you know there's a chance he's there for two years because he just goes hey i have almost 30 million sitting there on the table i can't turn that down i wanted you know i want to do its best oklahoma city's still going to be a competitive team and then the the ancillary part of all that is russ himself because russell westbrook embraced kind of the the maximal Russ last year and you know somebody who I've followed for such a ridiculously long time going back to high school he can be good in a in a larger system I I firmly believe that but he seemed very comfortable in what OKC did last year and so now he has to shift to something that is even altogether different from what he had with KD because now it's two guys who prefer the ball in their hands and also without a lot of the support pieces that made those teams good. I mean, there's no Serge Ibaka now, and that's an important element of all this. And, you know, they had guys like Jeff Green who could kind of dissipate it. Now all these guys that are so used to being focal points of their team, and they're probably not only going to start games together, but finish games together too. Yeah, certainly. I just, I think, you know, I would actually be really happy to see Westbrook kind of revert to to how he used to play when he was with Durant because, well, A, it's just, it's going to be a little bit better for the team, but, you know, it's just like, it's more of a style of basketball that I like. It's obviously, I've been very critical of of Westbrook, I think, uh, you know, it's like the only thing I was well known for last year, but it's going to be an interesting balance because of the things that you said, struggling to put put this thought together because it's like, you know, you want him to continue to do the things that he did last year to some extent because you know it's not the same team and at the same time like guys like Mello and George well they do need the ball like they're kind of like you can turn them into easy points guys just by just by feeding them especially with George like if you if you get him in the right positions like he can really just be a scoring machine so you know I think it would be it'd be good if Westbrook was just as aggressive as he was last season I mean I'm not sure if it's possible for anybody to do that for for 82 games twice but 
you know, just just as far as setting everybody else up, it's more like the last play that he makes. It should be uh, should be more driving kicks than uh, than uh, going up to the rim. And you brought up previously that Paul George is in a really good situation in terms of more like where he goes long term, and that nobody's going to blame him. I think that Russ is in that situation in terms of what happens this season because if if they disappoint. People are going to blame Paul George. They're going to blame Melo. They're not going to blame Russell Westbrook because they'll be like, hey, look what Russell Westbrook did without these guys. You know, it, it, it's a, it's an interesting argument, but I think there is some validity to it. Whereas Oklahoma City last year, part of why they were so good, I mean, part of it was just Russ being superhuman. But another part of it was their unbelievable clutch play. And while that can continue, and you know, there are elements of that that are still true. They had, you know, that they, they had a really good clutch defense. I think that might take a step back due to personnel, and their offense was shockingly good because Russ took every shot and made every shot. But if that falls off, which it probably would have anyway, I don't think people are gonna blame him and they're just gonna look at everything else. And while popular opinion isn't everything. It is awfully nice to have that backstop there if you need it. See, I'm not, I'm not too sure about that. Like on one hand, Westbrook is a little bit invincible in Oklahoma just because, like, he's he's the guy there. Like, it's all signs point to he's going to retire there. But at the same time, just Westbrook's style is so, you know, it's a reason he's so polarizing. Is that when he's bad, it's incredibly noticeable because he makes the type of decisions that just like anybody who who considers himself like a smart NBA fan can be like. What are you doing? And, you know, if they go down, there's going to be a lot of that. Whereas I think, you know, there could be that with Melo, too, like we talked about earlier, just as far as like him willing to buy into a, situ- into a situation. But like with with George, you know, I think it, it depends on if, if they fail, how they fail. But, you know, I think a lot of it could be like, oh, Westbrook didn't give George the ball enough. Westbrook didn't share enough like that. It, we could just revert back to the to the Durant narrative, because I don't think that was I mean, obviously, it was definitely informed by how skilled Durant is, but also just by the experience of watching Westbrook. Like he's a very, very easy guy to point out mistakes with. That's a really good point. And also now teams have had a lot longer to really think about it. And while it is true that it's very rare to see real opponent specific adjustments in the regular season, that's just not why it happens. And that's also why Oklahoma City always was going to struggle more in a playoff series because there were elements of what Russ did that you could exacerbate and you could exploit. And that's still going to be true. He takes shots he shouldn't take sometimes. And Oklahoma, and he doesn't play as well when he's really tired, and everybody knew Oklahoma City was going to push him really hard. So you have all that, and then with Mello, it's this weird aura of FIBA Mello, which is completely legitimate. I mean, he has been a spectacular player in international play, also playing with a lot of his friends. I don't know personally how his relationships are with these guys, as opposed to like LeBron and CP and the Banana Boat crew and all that. But we've never seen it in the NBA. And so I think that is a part of his legacy because he kind of was able to treat those things as separate. And there were people who were mellow stands and who liked both sides of that. There were people like me who liked one side and not the other. And now the deniability of it, you know, the idea of, oh, that's one and not the other is, is put to the test. And it factors in differently with him because unlike Paul George, he's an aging player. Like we're in post prime mellow now that unarguably right now. And that doesn't mean every season is worse than the last, but that is the expectation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure, for sure. I think the th- I think the thing that kind of might save Mello here is that I'm not sure how much at this point anyone expects of him. Just like like you said, because of age, because he's past his prime, because we kind of know who he is. Like if he if things don't work out, it's not like he's going to be disappointing a lot of people, you know. 
Yeah, that's that's true. I mean, I think he's somebody who gins up more more intensity, let's say, on basketball Twitter than the, his actual impact on the floor, and so that can sometimes can sometimes weigh into it. Oh, for sure. I was uh, I was doing a fantasy basketball draft with people who don't watch like too much basketball; they're just doing it for fun. And Melo got picked in the second round. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so you know that. Like the aura of Mello, like the superstar, like the the score, the unstoppable force, like that's still there for sure for some people. I mean, just like in in terms of like the casual fans radius, like he's still he's Carmelo Anthony. He's a name. He's been a name for a really long time. Yeah, that that's definitely true. Before we move on, I want to tell you about a new sponsor of Real Jam Radio, DraftKings. Basketball season is back, as you know, listening to another season preview podcast from Real Jam Radio. And it's time to put your basketball knowledge to the test with one-day fantasy basketball at DraftKings. It's a great combination for those of you who feel confident in your skills to go at it because you don't have to worry about the long-term risk, whether that you're talking about injuries or just losing interest. I've done fantasy basketball at various moments in my life, and I've always lost steam with it because it's it's a grind. I mean, I love the 82-game season, but it's a lot for fantasy purposes, and it's so different from some of the other sports. So Daily Fantasy at DraftKings is a nice way to marry that and also to really put you to the test. So there, there are a couple different ways that you can do it. You can use more of, a, for those of you who are familiar with Daily Fantasy, a salary cap system where you get a certain amount of money, each player has a specific value, and you try to make the most out of what, of what you can. But you can also do something that DraftKings has called a pick'em format, where they give you tiers, and you try to maximize within that. So it's a different way of doing it, whatever you really connect with. They're also doing something very cool at the beginning of the season. It's called the Billion Dollar Lineup. So it's a contest that they're doing where... There's $100,000 in guaranteed prizes and it's free, free entry. And if somebody gets a perfect lineup under the salary cap, you win a billion dollars. That's why it's called the billion dollar lineup lineup challenge. And it's so cool that they're doing that. And the way that it connects with Real Jam Radio beyond obviously with the subject matter is that we do have a promo code. So what you do is you go to DraftKings.com and use the promo code RealGM, just like Real Jam Radio. And you get you play for free with your first deposit, and you can also get into special contests. So the code is RealGM, R-E-A-L-G-M, at DraftKings.com. Minimum $5 deposit required. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. Now back to Sirit Zohi. Let's move over to somebody that you've spent time and, and written really well on before, Jimmy Butler, who is in a very different circumstance now with Minnesota surrounded by young players, players who liked shooting a lot of shots, having the ball in their hands a lot. And I'm excited to watch the Timberwolves for a million different reasons, but having Jimmy Butler on a competitive, watchable team is a big part of it. Yeah, absolutely. I think Tibbs, Tibbs and uh, Jimmy kind of have like the same thing going with the with their seasons. I think it's like for them, it's just a matter of like, we all know the talent. We all know uh, like what they can do. They're incredibly skilled, high IQ. And like, it's weird to be talking about trying to describe a player and a coach in the same way. But I think like for both of them, it just kind of comes down to like, can you temper the crazy side a little bit? Like, can you exist in a room with other people? And I think Thibodeau, it's a little bit different. Obviously, as a head coach, and he's very liked by his players. So it's it's not it's not like the rest and like the, the stubbornness the stubbornness for both of them is kind of going to be what is going to be put to the test and you know you read all this stuff that's been coming out in like in uh like jimmy's 
did that great one with uh with Lee Jenkins on on SI and the whole thing is like no no now they're the edge is wearing off they're realizing that you know they got to change a few things and you know Tibbs said that when he was going into Minnesota and Wiggins still like he was like on the top of the leaderboard for for minutes played so you know it's it's gonna be interesting to see how much they they really back up uh, their claims there. Yeah, it's it's going to be a challenge for both of them. And with Thibodeau, I, I brought him up when we were talking about this because also a lot of Tibbs' legacy beyond playing players a lot, which he absolutely is living up to and has so far, and I think he wants to change that whether he does or not is an open question, is the defensive guru part of this. And last year, what kept Minnesota out of the playoff picture was not their offense. I expected them to be pretty good on defense and then their offense was going to struggle. They were legitimately strong offensively last year and just couldn't put it together defensively. And so if, you know, now Tibbs has not only Jimmy Butler, he has Tosh Gibson, another favorite from Chicago. They have way better personnel on that end, even though they did go from Rubio to Teague, which I think is a downgrade. And so does his rep as being this guy, you know, Tibbs, while he had a long career as an assistant before this, a lot of people think of him rising to prominence with those Celtics teams in KG, is that reputation well-founded or is that a little bit more of an outdated thing as the league has changed so much, even during his relatively short head coaching career? Yeah, I I think Tibbs' reputation as a defensive guru is kind of safe. I think he's kind of in like that Mike D'Antoni spot where nobody's going to deny the tactical genius to, to what he's done because there's just so much evidence of it that can't be refuted from the past. Like it's it's won a championship. It's gotten multiple number one seeds. There's just things about it that are like, okay, like this is solid. It's solidified. I think uh, for Tibbs, the thing is more so like, is he supposed to be a head coach? Like, does he have all the rest of it that you need to have to to be able to do that? Like, or is he is, is he supposed to be one of the best assistant coaches of all time? Is that his best role? More like Ron Adams in that way, maybe. Sure. Yeah. And with Tibbs, one of the elements that I like to look for in a, in a head coach, even though a lot of times this responsibility can go on the assistants, is really whether what they do late in games, especially when they have talent, makes sense. You know, like, obviously, mm-hmm. the NBA is a make-or-miss league. There are going to be—you don't want to look too much at success or failure. What you want to look for is cogents. Because it's like, does he play the right players? Do they do the right things? Do they have failures that should should not should or should not happen? And with Tibbs, I'm not all the way there yet either way on that. You know, somebody who is going to get tested in that way too, but is not in a legacy year is Brett Brown. Brett Brown has had all these years where he's had really weird decisions in terms of crunch time, but the Sixers have been so abysmal, nobody's cared. So with Tibbs, you know, they have real stakes this year. And for them, winning or losing a couple extra games in crunch time could make a huge difference. That could be whether they're the four seed or the six and, you know, how they fare everything with that. So... I'm going to be watching them closely, and now they're going to be having a lot of those circumstances where they're the superior team. And Mm -hmm. so the ability to fall back on, oh, well, we're punching above our weight, isn't really there anymore. And, of course, that wasn't there back for his best Bulls teams either. Right. I think, actually, you know, the thing with this this Wolves team, so long as they make the playoffs— Regardless of seeding, I really think that uh, it's going to come down to to playoffs for you know I think it's just it's just an expectation that they make the playoffs and I think you know just with how tight the West is nobody's going to fault anyone for for a couple seeds that they should have or a couple games that they should have won to be in a higher seed of course that has a huge impact in the playoffs and it matters but I just don't think it's something that's going to like play heavily into. Uh, into the way people think about Tibbs because, I mean, the Wolves are going for it right now. Like, they're not just going for a playoff seed. They're 
Like this is their future and they think that, you know, they're building a championship core. So to me, it's more like, what do you do when you're in the playoffs? Like you can be a, a first round out. Sure. Like that's probably to be expected, but you know, do you make real progress? Like what are your crunch time sets look like? You know, is everybody rested? Like, what does the process look like? Is, is you know, is everybody healthy? Are they prepared? Did, did Towns and Wiggins, like, how do they do under the spotlight? You know, how's the defense looking? Are, are they dynamic? Like, I think that's going to be a lot more important to Tibbs' legacy. The risk that he's at is, uh, is people thinking that he's a one-trick pony. That's true. And and you, the idea of how, even if, if they're going out in the first round, that there's a lot that can change on that is a really good one. And what I was thinking about with that was how I think about the Bucks who, you know, yeah, they lost in six games, but they were competitive against the Raptors, or even a team that just gets, that just gets worked. In, in, in the playoffs and just kind of happy to be there or something like that. And so obviously the stakes are a lot higher for Minnesota than that, but how they perform in that. And what's hard about all of those circumstances is that it's always a small sample size. You know, like, even the teams mm-hmm. that play a lot of, like play a lot of playoff games, there usually is so much variance in that and, and everything mm-hmm. else like that and injuries. And, and I was thinking about that a little bit today with the idea there was uh, somebody was asking about, the best teams LeBron has faced in the Eastern Conference playoffs during his run, you know, basically since 2010 or even, you know, the run's gone for for a while now with Miami and everything else. And I was I hadn't realized how many of those were obviously I think the Cavs would have beaten anybody everywhere anyway or the Heat back when he was with with Wade. And I'd forgotten how much injuries factored into all that, because at a certain point, you do forget a lot of the context. You just remember what actually happened. Yeah, no, for sure. And, you know, to your point, like, yes, it's like there's small sample sizes, but I think in, in, in this specific case, like there's if you look back at, at Tibbs' Bulls, Bulls teams, like they, they got into the playoffs enough for us to to see what they can do. And like the thing is, like they pretty much I mean. There's only the one year that Rose was healthy, but they were really disappointing that year. They were they beat the Pacers in five games, but it was like it was like the closest five games ever, and it was just like they were letting them into games. They just didn't look strong at all, and then they just got completely trounced by the Heat in the Eastern Conference Finals after winning that first game. Like it was just it was really really disappointing, and you could like they just looked like you know like they looked like a deer caught in the headlight. You know, certain things with playoff teams, regardless of the sample size, like they kind of uh, because of institutional reasons. Uh, I think would probably bear themselves out if we had a couple more games to go with it. Like, I think the Raptors, like who I'm obviously like I follow very closely, are a good example of this. Like they've gone to the playoffs multiple times, and like they've they've always been, you know, plagued by the same problems. And everybody says small sample size, and then this happened and that happened. They had injuries. Well, why are you injured? Because you know you don't rest. That, that, that was kind of like the issue with the uh, with the with the Thibodeau teams. Like they were just so they were trying harder than everybody else. And the regular season, they were, first of all, well-scouted. And once everybody else started trying really hard, well, hey, you're exhausted because you've been doing this all season. They've upped their game. So that's like that's just going to keep continue to happen. So it's just a matter of, in Minnesota, to not be, like, t- to get away from that mentality, to not be thinking, like, okay, i got to win the next game, got to win the next game. And that is, that is in essence, both how Thibodeau and Jimmy have, have always operated. Yeah, that's a great point. And a big determining factor with that is, yeah, really, can you take another jump? And Thibodeau teams, Jimmy Butler teams, which are often the same, can't do that because they're they're at 11 the whole time. And that, that is a really good point. And with the Raptors also, you know, you can think about that there are some specific limitations that can hurt them in the playoffs. And the other part of Thibodeau's rep, and this isn't as much maybe a, a legacy issue as much as it is a me thinking about him as a coach issue, 
is they have an unusual combination of talent now, and I'm a firm believer in Carl Anthony Towns. I think he's a special offensive player. We'll see what he is defensively this year. And so how does Thibodeau and how did the rest of the coaching staff, how do they utilize that? Are they creative in terms of the sets they run? Are they going to put the ball in Towns' hands more often? Maybe more like actually what Brown did with Joel Embiid and some of these other kind of new agey centers? Or are they going to use him more as kind of like a traditional five who just stretches out to the three-point line? And I want to see how that happens because a great differentiator with coaches is whether when they have a square peg, whether they change the hole or whether they just try to fit them in. Yeah, and that's going to be really interesting to see. Just in, in a couple preseason games here, like it seemed like they're trying to like equally distribute the ball in everybody's hands, including Wiggins, who like we haven't really really touched there at all. But yeah, like I, you know, just watching those things. Like the biggest thing was like I just I don't think that they can they can't really get away with starting Gibson. I think just given how little spacing they have, like you know, Towns against the Warriors, those two preseason games just got doubled. Pretty much like you know, after after a few after a few baskets, like he was just dominating Zaza, and then after that, it was like, hey, your your spacing is off. Like he just has no pa- passing angles, and you know, even if he does, like who is he going to pass it to? Or even like the post mismatches that they got, because the Warriors like to switch a lot, and a lot of teams are going to switch against them. I think just because they're shooting, so it's like, well, you got to get into the post to take advantage of that. But then the, the double comes off of him right away. Also, that issue could be compounded that Minnesota has, they have a lot of guys who, you know, they are capable with the ball in their hands, but they're not exactly really quick ball movers, decision makers. I mean, T can do a pretty good job, but I don't think of Jimmy, like he's good at a lot of things, but I don't think of that as a strength of his game. And Wiggins is absolutely not that guy right now. And so that's going to be a problem for them because if teams really do put more heat on towns, that creates an advantage. I mean, I cover a team that, that get a guy gets doubled all the time. But you have to put the ball in the hands of the other people and just create that shot, zip, 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 because otherwise Mm -hmm. teams, NBA players are fast enough to recover that you lose the advantage created. Yeah, for sure. I mean, Towns is probably the best passer in that starting lineup. So you just like you need the second guy to just be able to swing it right away. And I think the mentality with all those guys is is to drive, 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 and which I also think, you know, has its benefits because the defense is still already a little bit tilted like just to get that secondary stuff going because like they can kind of like the cool thing about them is like if they really if they really use a shot clock well like they can probably have three guys going in and and, and driving and, and compromising the defense like every single time down the road in pretty creative ways because they're not really necessarily guys that need, need a play set and that's why I think they're going to do well in transition guys that have good motors and, and can move the ball well. And so if that might sustain them offensively, you know, the, in some of those rough patches, as long as they can defend, but you have to actually get some stops mm-hmm. in order to do it. And Minnesota, yeah, they're, they're going to have a lot of these pieces that have to fit together and that they're going to work on it. And that's a part of the reason why with them, especially because this is going to be a multi-year project with Wiggins signing his extension. We basically know that's done for towns and then, which I mean, there's a little bit more wiggle, but, but the, this group's probably going to be together for a little while. So I'm not as focused on November, October. It's more, you know, March and so on and so forth, but it, it does all matter. And we were talking about Thibodeau's legacy and, and another guy who's kind of in a similar boat that had a reputation and also, incidentally, might be betrayed a little bit by the GM responsibilities of it is Stan Van Gundy. Because Detroit last year, you know, basically, and even the last couple of years, yeah, sometimes they made the playoffs. They made the playoffs two years ago. 
they've kind of become an afterthought. And if Andre Drummond has another bad year, yeah, some of that will be blamed on him. But Stan Van's going to be in a tough spot, and he might be coaching and GMing for his life this year. Yeah, I think he's a, he's really the biggest guy on the hot seat out of the guys that we're, we're talking about, at least. Just I, because, like, that team is just, you know, there's just been no traction. There's, there's like, a devastating lack of anything to look forward to, really. It's Which is, I mean, it's not like they're purgatory but at the same time like as long as drummond keeps playing the way that he's playing like they're just not really going to get anywhere and i i wonder if that's even a stand ban issue at all like, i i don't really like i don't know drummond personally or anything but like from everything you hear he's just a guy that like isn't very motivated you know maybe there's a coach out there that that, that can do that maybe stand ban isn't doing the things that he should be doing but you know it's just like at a certain point like the guy's got to want it yeah, and I mean, with the Pistons last year, I mean, Drummond was a disappointment. Reggie Jackson was a huge disappointment. So you think about a lot of these things and go, oh, well, you know, it's kind of, it was kind of a worst-case scenario. They got in Avery Bradley. But what has been concerning me for the last little while, except that the East is just so bad that even if they disappoint, they can still make the playoffs, is just that I'm not sure, how, while last year was a disappointment, I'm not sure how much better I expect them to be than that. And so that's also going to go to Tom Gores, and I mean, these own decisions are always ownership, of whether they're okay with that, whether it's just kind of this is the team they have, and whether they, they know, because even if we're saying Stan Van Gundy's been a little bit of a disappointment there, they're not going to get a better coach than him in all likelihood, unless they find and cultivate a, a young coach that can really develop, maybe it was something along the lines of what Atkinson has been doing with the Nets. No, I think you're right. I think, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a two-pronged issue because, you know, they brought in Van Gundy to, to be like the Van Gundy that was, that was coaching in, in Detroit, in, uh, sorry, in, or- in Orlando with, with Howard. And obviously, like, that's not what the, the, what the Pistons are. And if that's, if you're steadfast about wanting that, then obviously this seems a disappointment. And then, you know, I guess you can say Van Gundy's a disappointment, but you know, if your guy's not Dwight Howard, there's there's very little that can be done about that. Not to mention, like you know, they don't have the spacers, so it's just kind of like, you know, it's a totally different different personnel situation, as similar as it might seem. I like that you brought up Dwight. This is an aside, but I feel like the the tail end of his career so far, and who knows, maybe his tail the tail end of his career is going to be a lot longer has obstructed how great he was in his prime because Orlando Dwight, especially before things really fell off the rails, was such a spectacular player. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's really sad to see what's happened to his career. He was actually one of my favorite players like when I when I first started getting into basketball and just, you know, it, like there was a point where, you know, you could really like you could ask yourself which guy you wanted to start a franchise with between LeBron and Dwight. I mean, you'd probably go with LeBron, but you know, maybe maybe 2 out of 10 times you go with Dwight and there's there's not a lot of players in the world that you could ever really say that about. Like he was really like he he had that that talent, he had that that potential to to even top that and then I guess just the injuries LA like mentality, like there's just so so many things, so many things happened with him, but yeah, it's kind of kind of depressing thing to think about. I'm hopeful with with him, this is kind of like the last chance motel with him that Clifford is one of the few coaches that really uses guys like Dwight and 
mm-hmm. you know, has a connection with him. So maybe this is the the chance for him to do it. But at the same point, you know, players reach a they 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 have an expiration date other than LeBron because LeBron is LeBron. We'll talk about him probably a little bit later. But with Dwight, I'm hopeful that he gets that opportunity. But we don't need to spend too much time on him. Actually, I I, I just invoked LeBron. That's the other kind of beyond the Warriors, which I want to talk about a little bit later. The other big angle of this is the absolutely gargantuan trade with Kyrie and with, you know, Isaiah. But I don't think this is really not a legacy year for Isaiah. This is just a legacy year for LeBron because now he gets to do it with another different group of players. And Kyrie has this wide open opportunity in Boston. Right. I, th- I think that's actually a bigger a bigger deal for Kyrie than it is for LeBron, which is so surprising to say because, I mean, I feel like almost every season has just always played out as a referendum on LeBron's legacy. But I think, like, the Warriors have changed that to an extent just by just by how good they are. You can just—LeBron can justify losing to them. And, you know, Kyrie's the guy who left. Like, he's the one who said, I can do this on my own. With LeBron, I think, you know, anything he does now, it's icing. And any time he loses, it's justified. Like, he's just, he's in that Paul George position. Even, like, as much as a guy like LeBron can be, he's still always going to be heavily scrutinized. And, you know, if he plays poorly in the playoffs, like, obviously, like, no one's ever going to hear the end of it. But he's kind of like, he, he's reached this plane that I think a lot of a lot of people who just kind of, like, snuck in and got, got all their got all their rings and like their distinct distinguished awards before the warriors decided to take over the nba where now they're all kind of just like you know we we were successful when there was a level playing field they can kind of just be like we're good like it's fine that they that they lose now because like they're just going up against goliath like you don't really you can't really fault them for anything the only exception that would be if they got knocked out in the east playoffs kind of to an inferior team but other than that and i wouldn't expect it this year that could be more of a next year thing and the warriors are an element of that and with Kyrie, i don't even necessarily think it's about playoff success i think it's just about what his game is and you know so so can he be productive? Can he be an important part of a good team? And it helps that Boston has plenty of surrounding talent. I think Gordon Hayward will be an interesting supportive piece there. And it's also going to be a nice challenge for Brad Stevens because basically they turned over that entire team. So do they look similar to last year? Can they actually defend? And again, like I talked about a little bit with Minnesota, what they do at the end of the year is more important than what they do at the beginning. Yeah, the one thing I just wanted to add in with uh, with LeBron, if they don't make the finals, I mean that's like that's what going to be like his seventh straight attempt to make the finals. Like I think at a certain point, you know, he just you just like I think it's really easy to chalk that up to you just don't make it seven times. Like it's it's physically impossible. Yeah, I mean, I mean, if they do, and, I mean, and, 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 and we expect them to. Which and making, it'll still be sorry. a really really underrated athletic feat because we still expect it. But you know, it just I I really I wouldn't be surprised just because. I mean, I think Cleveland talent-wise is still far ahead of the Celtics, but, you know, like a couple injuries here and there and just general fatigue and, you know, what if LeBron just is, what if he's one step out the door? Like there's so many, so many factors that I think could play into, into the Cavs losing in the East. Yeah, that, that's a good point. And also, beyond the whole seven for LeBron personally, you have the idea that a single team making it four times in a row is also rare. And so, I mean, both the Warriors and the Cavs are going for that. The Warriors will have a harder road, but they're also a way better team. 
And yeah, I, I, it's going to be interesting this year. But let's let's talk about a little bit about the Warriors. I mean, so they're in this strange place where you talked about how LeBron basically it's kind of a no fail situation for him in terms of legacy stuff because nobody expects them to to beat the buzzsaw. The Warriors are in that circumstance. I mean, not only they they had that pressure last year and they delivered, but they basically have that pressure again this year. I don't think it's really any different, and I don't think that there's anything in terms of the regular season. You know, I, they could be distinctly. Uninteresting is probably too strong a word for it, but just that they don't make that many waves. They're just going to beat a bunch of people and the the adjustment curve is all done there. But, you know, they're going to be under some serious heat in the playoffs. And in all likelihood, they're going to be facing better opponents than they did last year because, I mean, they they did have some good fortune, but they probably would have beaten everybody healthy anyway. Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, like they're the reason that everybody else kind of has a free pass as far as expectations go. So, I mean, they have to. Like, there's... Yeah, if they if they if they lose the finals, it's just gonna it's gonna be mutiny, and I think you know that's that's when it gets interesting though, because that's when you know all the stuff's gonna start leaking. What's been going on behind the scenes, and really that's the only thing I think that can reasonably even bring them apart, unless you know they are hit by some sort of catastrophic injury. So it's just I, I yeah, like it's like you said, I don't have a lot to say a lot to say with them other than that they really really have to get there, and I think it's it's more that KD. Ha- has to get there i think the the pressure is more so on kd than it is on anybody else in the team just because like for them everybody else it's first of all it's going to be multiple championships for them so it's just like it's just more solidifying and you know he's the one who did it it's his decision and then after the summer that he had like just pretty much like squandering all the goodwill that he got from a championship like i think he just like he's just kind of in this place where he's really gotta you know convince the nba world this is like this is for real kind of just a, like not a loser in like the win-loss sense but like just a loser in like the personality sense like just convince people that he isn't that well yeah i've been thinking about that with with steph curry because at this point it, he he can expand his legacy winning an mvp would be the easiest way to do that i'm not even sure winning another championship or a finals mvp does that much to it mm-hmm. but durant has more wiggle room partially because he's been on this team less time and partially because last season and even the playoffs before the finals was an adjustment it was a little bit weird and and it has been lost in the shuffle a little bit that he was a fringe mvp candidate before he got hurt but this is another opportunity for him to say like because there's this open question right now of who is the best player in the nba you know is it lebron is it Kyrie? sorry not Kyrie. i was saying Kawhi. Kawhi. Uh, Kawhi, KD, you know, maybe one of the young guns comes at it. Steph probably still feels that way. Russ and Harden certainly want to be in that conversation. And so Durant has a very good case for it. And if he can put his foot down and have one of those like, yeah, I'm the best player, probably if he did that would win the MVP. That could be really big for him in terms of the versatility. And I think that would kind of put him closer to what the rep that LeBron has cultivated for himself, even though KD is never going to get to what LeBron did just because their paths are so different. Yeah, no, I think I think you're right. I think like that's that's one way to remedy the whole thing is just like not I mean, not that you really need at the end of the day is very, very little to remedy. He just won finals MVP in a championship. But just to come out guns blazing and have a scoring championship and like go 50-40-90 at the same time, like I think that's really like what it what it's gonna take for him as far as the regular season goes. But you know, you, you wonder if they'll he'll even do that because I mean I think the thing that oddly we don't talk about is that Durant is sneaky, pretty pretty injury prone. So it's like, like does he really want to have that type of regular season and uh and end up hurting himself or just like not be not be in the right shape in the playoffs. So I I think it's it's going to be a little bit a little bit of a give and take with him as as it will be for 
the Warriors, which is kind of just why I don't really think that they can make much of a regular season debt. Like, does it matter if like they if they win seventy? They go 70? If they like, win seventy, it? I th- I think that becomes a thing because I mean the Bulls did it once. If they can do it twice, and what's crazy about that is I think if it does happen, it's not going to be you know a concerted effort because how they won seventy three was they cared about every single game. They pushed too hard, and and you can mm-hmm. and you can make a you can make an issue, and I would if if we're talking about it candidly that you know that that did hurt them to a degree. It, it didn't it didn't injure Steph Curry's MCL. It didn't do anything like that. But you know that was a lot of. Physical physical and mental fatigue that they didn't need considering they had already won a championship. But mm-hmm. with Durant, so the so the benefit that he could get is that he is on the exact right team to kind of temper a lot of that. You, you're right that he does have a little bit of an injury-prone streak in him, just not, not to the point that Anthony Davis does, but, you know, these are two skinnier guys, and they've had a lot of different ailments. It's not even with Durant like it's always the same thing, though it is often foot-related because he had all that stuff with the Jones fracture. So you have you have that running together, but with the Warriors... They can just say, "Hey, if you're if you're not feeling right or whatever, we can. We'd rather have you miss a game or a half or whatever than you know have a long term injury. And that's never going to prevent Zaza Pachulia from falling into your leg. You know, if that sort of thing happens, it happens. But they aren't going to be leaning on him as heavily. And I am a big mm-hmm. believer in the idea of cumulative strain being a part of injuries. You think back to you know like with what Rose and a lot of these other guys did early Rose injuries, much less all the all the other stuff that came later." And that stuff isn't really in play as much with the Warriors. It can't. It's more the incidental stuff, and that could work mm-hmm. out. But you're right, though, that it is a different lens on him. And when you are as good as the Warriors were last year, you lose the benefit of defying expectations. And that's how Russell Westbrook won the MVP. Russell Westbrook won the MVP because people, including myself, thought Oklahoma City was not dead in the water, but they were basically done being relevant in their current form. Russ proved that wrong, and that's how he won the MVP. And it can be a really big thing to outperform expectations, and it is functionally impossible for the Warriors to outperform expectations. Unless they go 16-0 in the playoffs, and even then, I think some people go, oh, they're better than everybody anyway. I just have to pause a moment and get my Russell Westbrook hate. Um, the, the Thunder actually finished right where Vegas had them. Oh, no, that's true. Okay, anyway, we can move. That's we true. can move on to the rest of it. Just, just, <laughs> just wanted to get that important, out there. It's an important point. I mean, it is. I think it is. They're... Especially when we're talking about the expectations game with Russ. Anyway, I will not go on the <laughs> on the Westbrook uh, tangent. I know I said I was free. I'm not free all the way into the morning. So we're going to move on. Yeah. Well, so so the, the other one, do you think that this year isn't really definitive for the Sixers? It's just going to be a step a step in this whole process? Or is this kind of like, because I mean, now that Embiid's gotten paid, is, it, is, the, is the focus finally on them a little bit more? I think like there's definitely going to be a little bit of pressure on Embiid, regardless of like the, the stipulations on that contract. I was just reading about over them today, but it's still like, I mean, if, if Embiid is not healthy and like, worse yet if his career is over like that's still gonna be a pretty heavy strain on their cap regardless of uh of what happens but yeah i think uh i think the pressure with them is more so it's weird because they've never been in the situation before like the pressure is just to be healthy because i think if they make the playoffs and somehow they're not healthy i think that's still just as bad as 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 missing out on the playoffs just because like they're the things that are going to make them successful are it all really, really boils down to health. I mean, I think you can trust that one of two 
number one picks, especially as highly touted as, as Fultz and Simmons are. And just, you know, they're just just watching them in preseason and, and everything we know about them. I think, like, they're they're both going to be pretty good players. Like, they're, this is going to be a very, very talented core, in my opinion. It's just a matter of, of, of health. And, like, that's, that's kind of just where the cookie crumbles. So it's just, like, that's it. Like, that's all there is. Like, that's, yeah. It's just it's just the health. Like they if they miss the playoffs and they're healthy and like I mean I guess I guess that's kind of bad if they miss the playoffs and, and and they've been healthy this whole time. But like if they if they make the playoffs and let's say Embiid somehow goes down or like he only played forty games or you know somebody else goes down, I think that still casts a pretty big pal over over their season because it to, to me it's like the the seventy sixers thing. Even if Embiid has signed this contract, it's not about the players. The pressure is on the idea, and the idea, and like the success of the idea is based on whether they're going to be healthy or not, not whether playoffs another year because they miss the playoffs another year. That's just another pick. Yeah, that's true. I, I think that the injuries are a really big part of that. I think you're right, right on it there. That you know, in terms of especially thinking about the long term with players that have missed so much time. I mean, Simmons missed last year, Embiid has played in 31 games in three years. You have a lot of that. But there is, I think, a basic level of competence and like, really, are they taking steps and all that? And so will we get an answer to the question of will this basic structure work? Like, it's entirely possible that injuries or something else could rob us of answering that question and say, oh, I have to punt it to another year. And especially at this point, Embiid, Simmons, Fultz, those guys are all under contract. So it's not a situation Mm -hmm. like it's going to get broken up unless they trade one of those guys. But what will we know? And and that, I think, is going to be another big part of of whether this season is a success or not, because it's entirely possible that we're going to walk out of this going, well, they all stayed healthy, but Fultz and Simmons, it it doesn't seem like it's going to work as well together. They both Mm -hmm. want the ball in their hands. And remember, Embiid, his usage last year was insane, partially because they just didn't have that many other guys. But... Mm -hmm. How is that going to work? And I, I feel like talent is going to win out there and that they will, you know, that that having somebody like Simmons will actually iron out some of the incongruities in Embiid's offense. But you don't know that until you see it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm incredibly curious and excited to see to see what happens with him when everybody's on the on the floor together just because like it's just an interesting web of talent that we haven't really seen play together i think really i mean we've never really seen a 610 guy like, like magic was 69 or 68 i think play the point since magic and then like i mean i guess you know lebron does it but he's still like you know there's usually a traditional point guard on the floor with them what i suppose if, if fault starts it's sort of the same deal but you know it's it is a very unique thing that they're doing just having simmons be the point guard and you know, mixing that in with having another another really great creator in in faults and in beat and just like shooting and like where does where does Sarge fit? Especially like like I don't I I I, don't, I doubt that Sarge and uh, and Simmons will see too much time on the floor together. But you know, it's just uh, how is Brett Brown going to get all this weird web of incredible talent to to work together and and more importantly to optimize it because the really big challenge that he has is that. Uh, he doesn't really know what everyone's ideal NBA skills are in uh, in a vacuum. Like they're all going to be stuck in the context of what's going on with Philly. So it's you know I think they're going to have to try out a lot of different lineups just to see who excels where. And I and that's again like that's kind of a, the other thing that goes with like maybe it's okay they don't make the playoffs. So they just focus their entire season on figuring out what they have because it's like they're going to need a lot of different looks. They're going to need a lot of different different spacing situations especially especially for Simmons like there's very specific uh sort of lineups that he can he can play with just because guys are going to sag off of him but yeah like that's going to be that's going to be incredibly interesting to see I was 
surprised and intrigued by the idea that when I've been watching the Sixers in the preseason, they really have been using Simmons as the point guard, not in just the like, Mm -hmm. oh, the ball's in his hands, but like the way they run pick and roll, the way they've been doing stuff. It's basically just that role. If you were to think about to a point, obviously the, the, the schemes are different. It kind of feels like he's a 6'10 Dennis Schroeder in certain ways. And I don't mean that as a criticism of Simmons, because I think he could be far more than that. But that's (laughs) what's, what's, what's been interesting is that he's, he's that it's not this idea of, oh, well, he'll have the ball in his hands sometimes, which is kind of where you're getting at with LeBron like LeBron isn't always the orchestrator he is a lot but he isn't always and Mm -hmm. that can work I've compared Markel Fultz to Kyrie a few times and I think that that dynamic can work well but I want to see how that works out and again it's I'm not saying one way or the other that that it's going to work or it's not going to work I'm excited Mm -hmm. to find out what the answer is right right and I think it's also interesting because the answer is still like even if we find out that this doesn't work like the answer is still going to be somewhere out there because at the end of the day, aside from Embiid, all these guys are still assets. So if it doesn't work, maybe they're out the door, right? So it's just like it's still everything's still very, very fluid in that situation, regardless of uh, of what happens on the floor. Yeah, that, that's a good way of putting it. Before we move on, I want to tell you a little bit about greats. Greats are classic, stylish, comfortable sneakers sold at a great price. The ones that I have are the Royals and Nero coloring, so they're dark with a white kind of trim around it. Beautiful, beautiful shoes. And they're distinctive looking, but also incredibly comfortable. So it reaches the the double that I think you're really trying to look for, which is standing out in a good way, of course, and also being comfortable in those shoes. And a lot of times, you know, I've been fortunate enough to wear a lot of of wonderful shoes and, you know, I and some that, that do that double, but I've been very impressed by greats. And the fact that getting that on the first try is unusual for any shoe company, much less one that I have no experience with. And If those shoes aren't what you're looking for, they have a wide variety of styles, men's and women's shoes, wide selection, and they're made from really high quality material. Mine are the leather on them is spectacular, really, really nice quality leather. I've now been wearing them for a few weeks, been incredibly comfortable in them and feel versatile and got plenty of support. And so you should check it out for yourself. What you do is you go to greats.com, G-R-E-A-T-S.com, and then you enter the promo code REALGM to get 15% off at checkout. And it's also great because they they have enough confidence. I didn't need this, but they have no risk return and exchange policy to make sure that you get the right fit for what you're looking for. And they have so many other options so that you can you can go through it, find something you love, and then if it's not exactly perfect, make sure that you use that program to get exactly what you like and do it using the Real Jam promo code because that tells them that you came from us, which is always great, of course, and it also gets you 15% off, which is a lot of money on, on nice shoes. And I really do enjoy their product. I've, I've been so happy to have it. And I get excited about new brands because... That's how you find new things. That's how you find something that you really enjoy. And so it's greats, G-R-E-A-T-S dot com, real GM promo code. And the last one that I, I thought, and I've been focusing a lot on this team, and I'm surprised it took me this long, but I like that it's kind of going to end here, is Chris Paul and the Rockets. I think the Rockets are starting the year as the most interesting team in the league because everything matters for them. I mean, they have really high stakes. I think they're the best contender to knock off the Warriors this season because they have such a ludicrously high ceiling. But it's so compostable because Chris Paul has never really played with a guy quite like James Harden. I mean, James Harden has played in a lot of different systems, but this version of James Harden has never really played with a guy like Chris Paul. And then you have D'Antoni as another voice in this mix. And it's like, 
I mean, you watch some of their some of the moments in the preseason, and you think, "Oh my God, they're going to just beat everybody." And I certainly think that's true. But the eighty-two game grind in the playoffs, like, I think I'm going to be watching them more closely than any other team this year. Yeah, I think for me, it's it's going to be it's going to be them and the Wolves as far as the teams that I that I follow the the, the closest. But yeah, it's it's by far the most uh, the most interesting situation in the league. I think just because everybody else that's a contender, we kind of know what they are. I guess, like, you know, you can add the Celtics into that mix, but I just, I don't think that the Celtics, like, let's say they somehow knock off the Cavs, like, they're just, I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm underrating their talent, or maybe I'm underrating Stevens, but I just don't think that they're the type of team that's going to go out and, and beat the Warriors, because they don't really have, like, those, those elements on their team, like, they, they'll have the firepower, but they won't have the, uh, the rebounding and just the, the ability to punish Golden State down low that I think you need to have when you're trying to beat them. But you know, anyways, like that was a digression. I don't know why I started talking about the Celtics when you asked me about about Houston. But well, that is just to say that they're really the only team that I'm considering being added into the real contender mix, depending on what happens. Which is why it's it's so interesting. Just like the melding of the talent, the personality is like they're not. Nobody there is necessarily the easiest guy to to get along with. They're all very married to their systems. I think it's all of it's really going to come down to like it's it's kind of like the mellow thing with Chris Paul. Like, are you obsessed with control? Is this is it not going to cut it for you if if Harden's playing point guard half the time and you're running and you know you don't get to you know dribble a hole into into the floor at the top of the key and and be the maestro of everything all the time? Like, I'm sure there's times that's going to happen there's times obviously he's going to run like you know the Clippers were an incredibly explosive team with him at the helm but it's like the same criticism I had of him then was that the offense should still have been running through through Griffin there because it just makes things more dynamic and I think uh, I think in large part you're going to see that bear itself out in Houston too like maybe Paul just can't be doing the same stuff that he used to as much as you know as, as much as we consider it to be unselfish play it's still like it's very much like he is at the helm of everything and there's three guys there that really really like to 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 be like that regardless of D'Antoni's approach is a little bit different but it's still very much you know it's it's his way and the reason it worked with Harden was because you know they both they both want the exact same thing I don't know what it's going to be like adding adding Chris Paul into that mix but the thing I always come down to with Houston when I think about them is you've got two two incredibly high IQ dynamic basketball players that really on the offensive side don't leave anything on the floor. And I think in a situation like that, especially with superstars, guys as talented as they are, who also know the stakes, they'll find a way to make it work. They're definitely saying the right things early on. Chris Paul has talked about how it's kind of nice and how it's a little bit of a relief to have that other player. And I have two reactions to that. One is (laughs) you say that now. And, right. and that's, you know, you could feel differently and all that. And the other part is, yeah, it's entirely possible. I mean, this this Chris Paul at 32, he has a sense mm-hmm. of his basketball mortality. He and, and I think CP is more aware than many of kind of where he fits into all this kind of stuff. And yeah, I know that he wants to be the guy and win a championship and everything. All Basically, every player in the NBA wants that. But I think he's going to embrace this opportunity for what it is. The problem is going to be when they hit a rough patch, and every team hits a rough patch. I mean, you mm-hmm. can think back to the Warriors losing last year. They lost to the Cavs on Christmas, and then like a week later, they they blew a big lead to Memphis. And like those sorts of things happen. Every Basically, every team has that. And so at that point, 
do they, and more specifically, Chris, do, does he react to that by saying, see, we should have done what I was do, wanted to do all along? Or does he say, hey, we're good enough, we're going to figure this out? And I expect that it's going to be the second, at least for a little while now. I hope that it's the second because I want every team to realize their potential. And I think this Houston team could be really special. But until we know, we really don't know. Yeah, for sure. And so I just I, I just had this image play in my head when when you were talking about Chris Paul saying the right things. I'm just like, you know, Chris Paul sitting on a sofa. She's like, oh, this is so great. I have so much less to do now. Yeah, and he just smiles awkwardly and then just starts rocking back and forth and going crazy. Yeah, and starts like, starts like, well, starts like angrily whittling something or like right, something right. like that. Yeah, I could totally see just that. Just like looking around. <laughs> But the nice thing that Houston has, and I, I full credit to Daryl Morey for building this in the right way, is that the other players on this team make so much sense for a, a team with Chris Paul and James Harden. So you, they, they had Trevor Reza, who's, you know, he had that point in his life when he wanted to be a higher usage guy. Incidentally, some of that was on the Rockets back when he was younger. And then they added Luke Richard and Bob Mute, PJ Tucker, both guys that are very comfortable doing the glue guy stuff. Clint Capella is totally that. And Clint Capella is probably going to have the best season of his career because he's just going to get, he has two incredibly gifted passers and he can, he can get them a little bit of space and then teams are going to freak out and then he's going to get looks. So you have all of those guys, Ryan Anderson, you know, he can't play defense, but offensively he's a perfect fit with all this kind of stuff. And so, and Eric Gordon too, I think Gordon would love to have it a little bit more. He'd love to have a little bit more of that Lou Williams role that that Lou had more on the Lakers than on the than, on the Rockets, but he can be the complement to either one of them. So I think that it's going to be fun to see all of that fit together, and that's also part of the reason why I think they're just going to be so ridiculously good this year. Mm-hmm. What do you think is their their closing lineup? So it'll depend a little bit on their opponent, but I mean, so the locks are CP Harden and Ariza. I would say unless Ariza's having a really bad game. From there, I actually think that, like, let's say it's against the Warriors. I think they're going to close with P.J. Tucker at center. I think it's going to be Tucker at center. Mm. And then maybe, depending on the opponent, Eric Gordon, maybe maybe in Mute, just kind of whoever they need to defend the other team's guys. Because they have so much shot creation in just those those two that it's going to be interesting, and but I think I think it's going to be something in that realm. But then when other teams are going more traditional, I think they'll be they'll be they'll use Capella. The problem also with Capella now that the Rockets are playing in games, they'll play more games with stakes. You know they they've been around before, but he's still not a great free throw shooter. Will that end up mattering a little bit? Mm-hmm. The other thing I think about is um, will Ryan Anderson be playable against the Warriors? Because that's really what it comes down to. Like, can you can you match up against the Warriors' death lineup? And I just don't know where you can put him. And that kind of that kind of sucks for Houston, just because like he's probably their best uh, their best shooter. I don't think he has a place in that series. Probably. Yeah, it's it's yeah. just it's just too hard. And the Warriors, while Kerr, you know, he he does a lot of this. I'm going to run my stuff, and it doesn't really matter. Leading to a lot of us criticizing him for not like running Steph KD pick and rolls enough because that's just not what the Warriors do. If another team has an Ennis Canner or Ryan Anderson, they do go after that guy because they know that they can get an advantage and they know that the other coach is going to take them off the floor. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. Anything else you feel like? I mean, we've kind of gone all around the league with this. Anything you feel we should that you're going to be watching this season and looking forward to? I mean, covered the the cover. We covered the teams that I'm most excited about. I mean, like obviously, I'm a very very narrative driven basketball watcher. So I mean, this was pretty much 
This is uh yeah, we kind of we kind of got through them all. I'm just thinking in my head like is there anybody like the Bucks are, are a team that I'm really excited to watch obviously just, you know, because of Giannis and to see what he can do, but yeah, there are a couple and teams, yeah, like them and the Spurs, like where I'm I'm not as interested in necessarily like kind of where it goes. I'm just going to love watching them because they're just so much fun. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah, I th- I think that's and the other team that I'm just I I just love watching them when especially when Hassan Whiteside is not on the floor is Miami because Miami it just feels like they're squeezing the most out of all their players and I just get a lot of satisfaction out of that and the way that Spo has been able to deploy different lineups deploy different guys and seeing players like Dion Waiters and like James Johnson who have struggled in other locations whether that's due to being misused or their own motivation or anything like that and to really see where that team goes were you just giving me a nice segue to plug the Dion Waiters piece I wrote yesterday was that what that what this was actually it wasn't and then I realized that as I was saying it was pleased with myself yeah except you know then I butchered it but you know like the one the one way to ruin a segue is to (laughs) is to say that you know it's a segue but yeah I profiled Dion Waiters throughout training camp and, and before training camp when he was still in Philly, and that's on Bleacher Report. If anybody wants to to check that out, it's about his progress throughout the year and his relationship with Riley and this family, and just finding his place in the league and in his life and the whole the whole profile nine yard stuff. Well, and what struck me about it beyond enjoying the stories and and the craftsmanship that went into putting it together is the idea that it takes all kinds in the NBA and really what for waiters, he was on a lot of teams that didn't get him. And I, I think back to and I talked to you about this after I read the piece that I covered the 2012 draft and I was just struck by how much disdain he had for the process. I mean, basically, one of the things you do in the the scuttlebutt before the draft, the day before, is you basically talk to media members for about 30 minutes. And really, it's a lot of just platitudes and smile and nod and, oh, I'm just going to, I don't care where I go. I'm just going to help the team. I'm very excited about that. And, you know, every once in a while, you get a harder question and you just answer it with a smile on your face. Waiters was not suffering fools. He was not dealing with that. And I was wondering, uh, and so I went through two things. I'm like, one, I respect the genuineness. I really do. I, I, I like guys that are like that. JaVale is another one. You know, there are a lot of players who it's just, they are themselves. And I respected that. But at the other point, I'm just sitting there going, well, it's not that hard to just put on a facade for half an hour. And that would have, it, it might not have helped him out in terms of draft stock because you assume the teams are going to do it. But like it or not, media members write about players more favorably if they're a better quote, if they're easier to talk to. Jamal Crawford is an easy example of this. That's just the mm-hmm. way this business works. It's the same with baseball writers. It's the same with everything else. So I was kind of like that. And then I realized, you know, as I'm reading the piece, it's like, well, Riley's a really logical fit for all of that. For sure. Like that's one of the things that really struck me was it was their relationship, like their understanding of each other that I never I that's why that's why I kept just going like like digging into it more because you you think of it from a surface level and you've got Dion Waiters who is like before going to Miami is universally kind of just considered a goofball and Pat Riley who is like the most famed ta- taskmaster in the league, who is, you know, just run teams to the ground. Like he he did it before Thibodeau made it popular. Just guys like puking into, into garbage cans, like years off people's careers. Like this guy, like it was it was really, really interesting to me that they, they had uh, such a close bond. But what makes sense about it to me, and I actually caught up with some, some older Riley stuff when working on my Warriors book because of Alex Hannum, who was one of the influential coaches in Pat Riley's career and was a similar taskmaster type guy. And, and I, I wrote about him a lot in the book. 
is that is this idea that they're they're genuine and they're very candid about it. And I think that's mm-hmm. what they can kind of see in each other is that, hey, I'm going to call you out on your stuff and you're going to do the same with me. And also that Riley believed in what waiters could be. And I think there were a lot of a lot of GMs, a lot of coaches that when waiters said the things about like, you know, I'm going to be the lead guy, I'm going to be the lead dog mm-hmm. are just like, oh, sure. You know, every guy who comes into the NBA believes that. And Riley basically said, we think you can do it too. We think you can do it on our team. And I think that that also reinforced their bond because a player who has that belief really wants to see it in somebody else. They don't want to be challenged on it every second of every day. Yeah, for like this this is the part that didn't really make it make it into the story just because you just got to make cuts. And like I think it's one of those things that were once a cliche, but Waiters is he's talking about his first meeting with Riley and the reason one of the reasons at least that he he agreed to to sign for that contract and that at that rate the two million um i mean the two year six million dollar figure which was much less than he was expecting to make that year was he went through his career talking to coaches and gms who all tell them the same thing that riley will tell them but the difference is that you know he just he just believed riley because he could tell that you know riley could see him as like a person and actually like riley was like the was genuinely taking him seriously. And I think that's something that he hadn't really necessarily experienced in the past. So it was just like, you know, like what, like what was it about him? And he was just like, I don't know, man. Like he just gave me, like I just believed him. Sometimes you don't believe somebody, but like I just, I just knew like that this was, uh, this was real. And, you know, talking to Riley too, like there's just a lot of stuff about, they just try to be honest with him because they know that he doesn't open up and he does have trust issues. So it's just like the truth is, harsh especially with a guy like with waiters who does fall off the deep end every every once in a while but like as long as you give it to him like it's just like that's that's the only way that it's gonna work with him as much as we like to think of it you know if you want to say like a video game or in the abstract with with basketball and basketball players they are human beings and these human relationships and how they approach it they do really matter and i mean i think that's a part of why why a lot of the star players have changed at various moments whether that's personal relationships between players or between a player and owner you can think about whether the lebron dan gilbert strain is going to be a part of the reason why he could leave this you know next summer and all that kind of stuff and the personal is a very important part of this and losing track of it actually makes make mm-hmm. like makes would make me worse at my job yeah and i think that's like the heater a perfect example of that because i think the reason they're so successful is like not that you shouldn't really necessarily be successful with like hassan whiteside is it's a perfect example of that probably the most famous example of that is that they actually do take the time to to listen and figure out if if it makes sense and if it doesn't make sense and like you know like they don't sign you and but if if it does then like you know then you're all in and they're going to do every single thing they can to get to know you. Like there's another piece that dropped uh, on, on DN waiters by, by this is so bad. Like I'm, I'm going to butcher Rohan's last name, even though I'm also Indian, but I think Rohan Ned Carney about Dion too. And he had a lot of stuff about the Spo relationship and like, just by reading both of the, both mine and his piece, like, I think, I think you can uh, tell that they put a lot of work into this stuff. Like they really, really care about like knowing every single part of your personality and what makes you tick. And that's like, that's a huge part of the game, especially with, with these guys like that that have been like misunderstood or misused or 
attitude problems in the past, just like how do you channel that the right way? And you can't do that with everybody, but you know, they've, they've been pretty successful at it. They have. And that was actually something that concerned me a little bit about their off season was they've done such a great job of cultivating these types of guys, not only with waiters, but I think the James Johnson contract is the one that's more notable to me. And instead of finding the next James Johnson, they paid the one they already had. And that can work. You know, the, the basically what Riley has committed to now is this is going to be probably his last team unless he's going to, you know, unless he's going to stay on a lot longer than I think so. And maybe he just went, I like all these guys. They're going to be good. We'll be competitive. And after that, they'll figure it out. The next guy, I'll figure it out or girl, hopefully. But mm-hmm. but well, like that that's sort of a that's sort of a thing. And so it was a little bit frustrating in that point. But I also understood it. Yeah, I think one of the things he said, I think in maybe I read it somewhere else or in Rohan's piece was, you know, we're not just about reclamation project. That's what Spo said. Like they don't just it's not like the Hawks where like they're just they're they're building a wing for for their season. And then like when somebody else is cheaper, they'll do it with somebody else. I think they genuinely believe in in the players that they have. And it's another thing that Riley talked about, too. Where he was like he was talking about free agency with with Gordon Hayward and that was the same year that uh that he was looking at waiters after after that fell apart was he was telling him like listen you might have to take less money at first but you'll get your money the, the, I think that's kind of like how they convince him like it's not so like it's not 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 saying like in an under t- under the table the way but like the what they're saying is that like you know like well if you honor the contract and the system and what we're gonna put you through like we're gonna you know, you're, we're going to put you through the ringer like you've never been through the ringer. But if you do that, then on the other end of it, it's not like we're just going to dump you. Like, then you're part of the Miami Heat. Like, he, like even talking about waiters, like, he talks about the players that he signs, like, in, in terms of decades. Yeah, that, that's true. And and that's also, uh, you brought up the point of how they identify and then stick with guys. That's different about, the most compelling team to me about that is San Antonio. So San Antonio has this firm delineation between their guys and not their guys. So this offseason, it was John Simmons versus Patty Mills. So like John Simmons, he was a guy that they developed and they thought, no, he didn't meet that threshold, but Patty Mills did. And Patty Mills, you know, it's a reasonable contract. I'm not saying they overpaid him or anything like that. But once you get into that Spurs lifer category, you're golden. And that's, you know, they didn't trade Tony Parker. They didn't do anything there. And that approach wouldn't work for everybody, but it works when you have pop. It works and it works when you have Hall of Fame players, almost always multiple Hall of Fame players for a long time. Yeah, certainly. And I think the other like the thing that with the Heat that gets underrated, even though I mean, I, I don't know if he's even underrated anymore, is is Spo. Like Spo is w- one of the best guys in the league at getting the most that he can out of his players. So, you know, if you combine that with like the mystique, like he's kind of like the substance behind it. He is. And that is important in terms of maintaining what the Heat have, because if you, you know, finding the right guys and, and really it all fits together with them. I've heard great things about their medical staff as well and their conditioning people. And so you have this frontline organization that players are going to want to be a part of. And Miami, you, you're right that they, you know, they, they've spent the money on waiters and they stay loyalty on those type of guys. But they also have been the best team with the development leagues, and they've been finding these values. Guys like Josh Richardson, Tyler Johnson, kind of basically off the, off the rack to a point. I mean, Josh was his, was a second round pick, but still an incredibly valuable player for it. But I've been super impressed by them as an organization taking advantage of what they have and what they can do. 
Mm-hmm. I think they're actually the, like uh, since we were talking about legacy on this podcast, like I think it's kind of interesting. Like, will this back end of what Riley is doing with this team make up for how the whole Wade situation went down? Because I think you know, if you look at it now, maybe there's a way that you can say like, you know, what they they did the right thing through and through. Like maybe they didn't want him to come back in the end, but they had given him his legacy contract the year before. Just like how many legacy contracts do you get? Because if they had gone in, gone the Kobe route, then they're not in the situation that they're in right now. Like maybe it's just like the right balance that they had, and it was unfortunate that it was timed with all the Chris Ball, st- uh, Chris Ball stuff as well. But you know, time also proved that yeah, he couldn't play basketball anymore. Like there's there are any number of doctors now that have uh, that have confirmed that. Yeah, it, it very well could, and I guess you could separate out the right decision versus the way it was handled to a point and that Mm -hmm. that is always a challenge there but that can also wash away with time obviously it won't with those guys but in terms of legacy i think that you know eventually realizing that they that they made the right decisions could end up winning out oh i wonder if maybe maybe it will because like with would you you meant with wade and riley right right yeah i don't know maybe like i think you know certain like lebron went back to cleveland that's all I'll say. Yeah, I mean, LeBron went back to... And, and Wade can do, you know, he can kind of do whatever he wants. But, I mean, the, his kind of becoming, to a point, a justifiable NBA vagabond, you know, I think that kind of did bear it out. And Miami having the success they did without him, I mean, Wade was certainly, you know, he contributed to a point to what the Bulls did last year. And the Bulls did make the playoffs and he didn't. But... I think that, you know, they have all these other guys at basically his position, though you can bounce it around, that are all that are all good, and they were younger, and it worked out reasonably well last year. So I think Riley was right. Maybe there are elements of the interpersonal thing that were, that were mistaken, but in terms of his evaluation, I have no opposition to it whatsoever. Oh, right. No, for sure. Like, I'm not even talking about that part. Like, then if, you, if, you're, if you're just talking about that part, then it's just a no-brainer. I just mean, like, the larger sort of, like, you're showing yourself to be, like, an, an institution, like the Spurs. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And yeah, but but it also, you know, you get into the situation where, you know, the Miami guy, you know, like Wade, it, it gets complicated. Like they it worked out in San Antonio with a lot of their players, you know, like Manu decided to take pay cuts right when he was kind of less valuable. Tim Duncan decided to take pay cuts at around the same time. And mm-hmm. Wade, you know, that that isn't I'm not saying that guys have to do that. That's certainly not a fair choice. And that's not the way that it works. But I think Wade kind of saw that he could have a different, you know, tail end of his career. And I'm not I'm not sure that he's going to be super happy with it, but mm-hmm. at least it was worth a shot. And and I think, you know, it, it's I wonder how that element of this is going to change as the current generation of players ages. And especially when we've had, especially now with Wade leaving, the guys who are the vets now in the league, the established, you know, the, the banana boat guys, all of them have had high-profile team changes in their careers. A lot of them have had it in the last couple of years. And so how does that affect how the next group, probably, you know, Durant, Harden, Russell Westbrook, Steph Curry, how they approach that same point in their careers? Okay, the one thing is, that, like, the one thing I wonder about, I mean, taking it down another generation is when do guys just stop signing the rookie, rookie extensions? Is that coming? I don't think so. It's so much money. It. I. I wanted Anthony Davis to do it, and because but like I Anthony just... Davis could have done it if he was a little less injury prone. Like, yeah. are, is there going to be a legion of next dudes that are just like? Screw it, like, I'm good enough. Well, well, what's going to be a challenge there is, and I mean, because that was a benefit to a point of guys like wanting to play in LA, is that we've had a lot of good organizations, or at least desirable organizations, get top picks recently. So the Lakers had the number two pick three years in a row. The Celtics got a bunch of high guys. So it's what it's going to take is 
a really talented player, ideally somebody who has money from somewhere else, like this, like the son of an NBA player would be the best way to do it. Or, you know, I guess a tycoon in some other industry would be totally fine too. And, and have that and be in an absolute disaster of a situation. And in that sort of a circumstance, maybe it's on the table, but outside of that, I mean, it's just, it's so much money and they did fix the rookie scale. Thankfully, it's a little bit better than it was before, but that second contract, it's hard to turn down that money. Now, I think guys are going to turn down designated veteran extensions on the third contract. I think that's going to start happening, maybe with Anthony Davis. But that second one, I mean, because it's, it's a two-year risk because you're turning down the extension and then you're playing on the on the qualifying offer. It's just I, I, it's just too hard to ask some of those players to do it. Yeah, in large part, you're right. But I just like, I, 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 for most players at, the, at, at least banana boat level talent or even even just Le- like guys like lebron and katie i just wonder if there's like if they're just gonna see or maybe they'll like maybe even signing shorter extensions like maybe they'll see like yeah anthony davis got paid but like man is he stuck like i don't know i guess i guess it like it, like you said like it totally depends on the organization and and how bad things are there, but like you know, with AD, we kind of like kind of tell at the time that things weren't weren't going gonna go too well there. It just never really seemed like they knew what they were doing or had any real plan about how they want to build around him. Yeah, it, it's such a shame. And I mean, he's such an immensely talented player, and I mm-hmm. want to see where that works out. And then, while it it could certainly, I mean, I I think there's a very good chance that that Cousins comes back. Think about what happens to that organization if Cousins leaves because they can't replace him. And so if they lose DeMarcus and basically go back to Anthony Davis, Drew Holiday, and a bunch of kind of like fringe starter guys, that's going to be so depressing for a guy who's one of the best mm-hmm. young players in the league. And as an afterthought, especially when a lot of the other guys in that mix, Joel Embiid just got a bunch of fun players around him. Carl mm-hmm. Anthony Towns just got Jimmy Butler. And it's just he's going to be on an island. And by good fortune, a lot of guys are off islands now, but he might still be on one. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, like the thing with the the Marcus thing though is like it's still like you still have to do that that deal like ten times out of ten. But yeah, it just it, it's really. I mean, maybe on the other hand, it's just maybe he's always just going to be a little bit injury prone. But it's really really sad because it just reminds me of this other other thing. Like the, so, Vice is doing a, a series for the NBA preview that five teams that can beat the Warriors in in twenty twenty. And I did a thing on the Wolves for them. And Anthony Dave and like my, my, my whole thing was that Carl Towns is like the guy that you can you can build around to, to beat them because he has all the ingredients and Anthony Davis is kinda like that too. So you have like this immense opportunity to, to be taking down this team that nobody thinks can be taken down and unlike Towns, Davis is actually already he's ready. Like he's there. And it's not just he, he's a superstar stuck, like he's that superstar stuck. Like that just sucks. It's really disheartening, and I, I hope that this season goes really, really well for them, but it is going to be mm-hmm. worth watching, and I don't necessarily like ending this on a down note, but I do think that mm-hmm. the Pelicans are a fascinating situation, and uh, of course, as always, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, yeah, of course. Thanks again to Sirat Sohi for coming on. You can follow her on Twitter at Damien Trillard, still one of the, if not the single best basketball writer Twitter handle, D-A-M-I-A-N-T-R-I-L-L-A-R-D. 
and you should read her wherever her work appears. It's all over the place. She has more outlets than I do. One of the only people, and she does phenomenal work. I'm a huge fan of hers. That's why I have her on the podcast. I think she's great at talking about this too. And the waiter's piece was one of my favorites in recent time. And if you haven't read it before, her Jimmy Butler piece is, is great too. And so we talked a little bit about that because that's one that really resonates with me. And I, I'm very impressed with her. That's why she comes on the show. That and she says yes. So getting into the season... As those of you who've been around with me for a little while know, I don't like getting super reactionary. So I actually try to avoid getting too far into what's going on for a couple weeks. That's what I try to do. And then I even, in the, that narrowest part after that, try to go both really broad and then very specific. So what I'll probably do is do a podcast or two, not really on the season so far. And then after that, I'll pick a breakout story or something like that. Last year, that was actually Dan Wojcicki with the Clippers. We saw how that turned out for the Clippers. And now, sadly, Dan is covering the Chargers instead. But I will pick somebody and hopefully not give them the kiss of death. But we'll see where that goes. And so that's really how I approach it with Real Jam Radio. If you want my immediate takes, there are lots of places for it. There's the Dunked On Basketball podcast, of course, with Nate Duncan, Twitter NBA show, which is returning on Wednesday with games. And then Warriors Watch, which is my just-launched Golden State Warriors podcast, that will be once or twice a week. And so if you're interested in Warriors-specific and opponent-specific stuff, you can always listen there. And then my writing. So The Athletic, Real GM, Sporting News, wherever else stuff ends up, but probably mostly those three places. And so this is going to be an awesome year. I've been really looking forward to it. I've been pushing that on a lot of these podcasts because I'm just really excited. And inevitably that will wane a little bit, but I am pretty juiced about it and it's going to be a great year. So there are a lot of different ways that you can support this show and really any other show that you like. You can leave a rating, leave a review in whatever podcast player you choose. It's great if it's iTunes, but it doesn't have to be. And I can tell you how big that is because Warriors Watch got into the top 100 on sports. It's now, I think it's in the 60s or 70s. And it was in the 70s when we had one episode. So that's how much reviews can really matter. And they can push up a show, even an older one like this. You get a little bit of a surge. It can really help. And then, of course, word of mouth is very important because you you just tell other people, hey, this is good. You want to do it? That's great. And then the other way that you can do it, and that's great with Real Jam Radio in particular, is subscribing and downloading every episode because it is sporadic. It comes out at different times. So if you subscribe, then whenever it pops in, you get it. You don't have to worry about me sending out a bunch of tweets and everything like that. You can just get it where it is. And then checking our sponsors too is is very big. And so for this episode, DraftKings.com, Real GM promo code, make a little deposit, check it out. I'm working on as well. I'm, I will walk you through my fantasy basketball experience with daily. I think I'm really going to enjoy it. I think it's going to be a lot more fun. If you want to check out the billion dollar lineup, which I think is an awesome promotion, you should definitely do so. And then greats. I am thrilled with my shoes. I will probably be getting more in the near future, even though I have way too many shoes, but I I love good ones and the styles they have are fantastic. So greats.com, G-R-E-A-T-S.com, Real GM promo code, 15% off, free returns, free exchanges. Definitely check them out. And then the last thing you can do, my book is sort of out. Depends on where, you, where you're looking. It is on Amazon. 100 Things Warriors Fans Should Know and Do Before They Die. You can check it out. It's it's already in stock on Amazon. It'll be in stock other places soon. I'm a big supporter of independent bookstores. So one of the links that I, I tweet out when I do this is a link to see if it's in stock at your local independent bookstore. It's something that I'm a big supporter of. So you can check that out. And if you want that link, just hit me up on email or in, or in DM on Twitter, Danny LaRue MBA at gmail.com, at Danny LaRue on Twitter. And 
really excited to see where the season goes. It's going to be a lot of fun. And it hopefully for me won't be as hectic as last year because I'm not going to be doing a, doing two daily podcasts and writing a book. So I think it'll be better in that way. And hopefully that shines through and everything else. And I appreciate the support top to bottom. It's been a wonderful run. I love the off season, but real games are a lot of fun. So hopefully you enjoy it with me. Hopefully you enjoy it with Real Jam Radio. Thank you so much for listening. Take care and make it a great day. Thank you.